No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Get motivated and be inspired by inspiration for today. Repeat after me, say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. I ask that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we spoke the, you know, from the series, God, why did you do that? Why did you come and tell us to give everything to you? Because the second week we looked at the fact that when we do that, it helps us to overcome wicked. And last week we spoke about overcoming wicked. And what I wanted to mention in terms of that uh, overriding thought is this. Why is it when a pastor speaks about, you know, evil laws that are being passed, like abortion, like gay marriage, like the whole transgender thing and all of the stuff that's going on, why is it that uh, people then say, no, you mustn't get political? Right? When, 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 when the church doesn't speak out against that which is happening in society with, that is evil, then at the end of the day, what's happening is we're taking on the patterns of the world. And um, I don't want to read the verse because we're going to read it again today. But what you need to realize is that the enemy controls everything, every single area of society. There is no part of society that is not controlled by the enemy. If you want to understand the biblical basis for why we say that, you can go and have a look at last week's message on, on active TV. But here's the thing that we need to realize as the church. We are called to Jesus' purpose, and that is to destroy the works of the enemy. We're called to that. We're called to join him. We're called to be involved in the work. And in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it says this, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And this is the, the big deal. Many people are talking about, you know what, there's many roads that lead to God. And that's not true. Not if you believe the Bible. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. He is the truth. He is the way. In fact, in that verse it says, He is eternal life. In, if Jesus is eternal life and you don't have Jesus, it means you don't have eternal life. And so, because of this Jesus that we have, and because of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, the children of God do what is right. 1 John 3 verse 10. This is how we know who are the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. It's not a popular verse today. We don't often hear it in the church today. But the thing is, 
what you do says something about what's going on on the inside of you. And this is what's very important to understand. No, you are not saved by your works. No, you need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But the thing is that what you, what you do says something about who you are. And today's message is entitled, The Blood of Jesus Overpowers Wicked. The blood of Jesus overpowers wicked. And what I want you to realize as you're sitting in the service today is the fact that this is a totally different way of thinking to what the world thinks. The world cannot fathom this. The world cannot understand this. The world doesn't know what we're talking about when we say this. But just what I want you to realize. Being a disciple of Jesus means that you have a totally different way of thinking. You have a totally different way of processing. When we're disciples of Jesus, we're no longer worried. When we're disciples of Jesus, we're focused on the kingdom of God. When we're disciples of Jesus, we understand Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And we looked at it last week, we look at it again this week, and it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how does God want us to respond to the world? How does God want us to respond to everything that is going on around us? How does God want us to respond to life? To how we live life? He wants us to respond to it by being Holy Spirit filled. He wants us to respond to everything by being focused on Jesus. And I want to ask you how much of your time in your thinking time, in your reading time, in your watching time is focused on Jesus? If you're not focused on Jesus, you're just like the world. And here's a big deal. Not being conformed, not conforming to the world's way of thinking means we're focused on eternity. I want you all to look at me. I want you to think about what that means. We're focused on eternity. Our focus is on the time that's going to come after we die. I really want you to understand that if you read the New Testament alone, from Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 to the very last verse in Revelation, the book of Revelation, where Jesus is saying, you know, I'm standing at the door of your life. I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. When you read that, you cannot help but get the fact that what the Bible says is that everything that Jesus came to establish was focused on eternity. It, now, the life you're living right now is part of eternity, but it's only a part of eternity. And everything that you're doing in this life should be getting yourself ready for what's going to happen in eternity. The purpose that Jesus came to reestablish goes back to the beginning of time. It goes back to the time when God created mankind where God said, I want you to rule the earth. Mankind then fell. And after mankind had fallen, we read in Genesis 3 verse 14 and 15, what God said to the serpent who would help lead them astray. It says, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. 
You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I want you to please understand history is not the way people talk about history today. The characters in history are not just nations and wars and all of those sorts of things. If you look at the history of the world, the history of the world is about the Lord. The history of the world is about the serpent. The history of the world is about mankind, human beings. And the history of the world is about the Son of God. Those four characters are what forms history. All of history comes out of what happens in the relationship between those four characters. The Lord, the serpent, mankind, and the Son of God. And in that verse, we see that the Son is crushing the head of Satan. And when your mind is no longer fixed on the things of the world, your mind will be fixed on the, on the fact that the Son crushes the head of the serpent. The serpent is your enemy. The serpent is the one who wants your destruction. And so today, we focus on the good news of the kingdom of God. Now understand this. When your mind no longer thinks the way the world thinks, you understand that the kingdom of God has a king who is not voted into power by you. He's the king by virtue of who he is. And whatever he declares and whatever he said is law. And so now with this in mind, I want to tell you about a story that Jesus told. A parable that he told. He said that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who went into his field and he went and he sowed and he planted good seed. But that night, while his hired men were asleep, there was an enemy that came in. And while everyone was asleep, the enemy sowed weeds and thistles and things like that in amongst the wheat and then slipped away. And obviously because of the fact that these were just seeds, the next morning it looked like everything was still fine. It didn't look like there was a problem. But then later on, when the green shoots began to appear and the grain began to form, the the thistles and the weeds showed up too. And all of a sudden the hired hand said, no, but wait a second, this is not as we thought it was going to be. We only remember putting wheat in the ground. And um, they come to the farmer and they're freaking out. And they say, farmer, farmer, we don't know what happened here. The seed that we planted was clean wheat. There wasn't any weeds among it. We cleaned the ground. Where did these weeds come from? Where did these thistles come from? And the farmer answered, he said, some enemy did this. There's an enemy that came and did this. And so the farmer they ask him and they say, um, so should we go and just rip out all the thistles? Should we go and just pull out the weeds? Should we go and just start taking everything out? And he said, no. If you weed the thistles and you weed the, the weeds, you will pull up the wheat as well. He said, let them grow together until harvest time. For now, don't worry about it. Water the wheat and the weeds. Give fertilizer to the wheat and the weeds. And then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull out, to pull up 
the thistles at harvest time. When we're harvesting, we will pull out the thistles, we will separate them from the wheat, we will tie them up into bundles and we'll burn them in the fire. And then we'll gather up the wheat and we'll put it in the barn. So he tells him this story. Now, now here's the thing about Jesus, something I've mentioned before, that Jesus tells a story to crowds. But when he gives the meaning behind the story, it comes to disciples. And I want to tell you, it's only when you start becoming a disciple of Jesus that, that certain things in the Bible are going to make sense. Jesus explained the story this way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 to 43. It said, he said, the one who sowed the, wheat, the, the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. Tell the person next to you, say, the field is the world. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the, uh, the, the, weeds are the people of the evil one. Okay, I want you to realize that Jesus says right now, you are living in a world and the people you're in amongst, some of them belong to the evil one. And you need to get to the place where you have discernment, well, which ones are of the evil one and which ones are of God. That's why if you weren't here last week or if you got in last week's sermon, I'm going to encourage you to go and listen to it because it tells you, it tells you this is how you can tell the difference. And then he goes on and he says this, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and, and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. I want you to listen to what He's saying there. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil will be weeded out of the kingdom. And then He says this. They will throw them, this is those that they've weeded out, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, whoever has ears, let them hear. I want you to understand, the pattern of the world and the way the world thinks goes against this parable. And many times in the church, the reason why the church is not having the impact on South Africa that it should have is because we're not preaching the truth. We're not telling people, listen, if you do not give your life to Jesus, you're going to be weeded out at the end of time and you're going to be thrown into the furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a reason why you need Jesus. Your politicians, many of them belong to the devil. Your friends, some of them belong to the devil. Many of the top people in business, the people, many of the people with the money, they belong to the devil. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is also saying that the good seed is the gospel message that is sown into the world. That wheat in that parable, it is the gospel, the message of the gospel, the, the stuff that I'm speaking right now, the, the words that come out of the Bible. This is the seed. And then Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 and 38 says, He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Now, the gospel message when received becomes a life-giving force of faith. 
I want to say that a life-giving force of faith, it becomes a supernatural force. It becomes a powerful, powerful thing that exists in the world today. And the gospel is sown into the world and people get saved and they become wheat. When we have the mind of Christ, when we have the mind of Christ, it means we have the mind of Jesus. And and when we have the mind of Jesus, it means we think like Jesus thinks. And when we think like Jesus thinks, we become focused on His purpose. We become focused on what He wants. And I want you to listen to what Jesus said about the gospel. He said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You're sitting in church, and this is what you need to understand. It is our responsibility to sow the seed. It is our job to sow the seed. We have a responsibility to sow the seed. And once we've done this, it's up to them to receive it or reject it. You see, if I preach the gospel to someone... It's not my responsibility as where they receive it or, or, or reject it. My responsibility is to tell the gospel to the best of my ability, trusting the power of God that He's going to work in their hearts, that they're going to understand it and get it, and that they're going to get to the place where they can make a decision for themselves, not one which is clouded by the devil. Because the devil has his fingers all over their brains. And so I need to pray that, that his fingers will be taken off long enough that they will hear the gospel, that they will understand the gospel, that they will get the gospel, so that they will have an opportunity to receive the gospel or reject the gospel. Jesus said those who rejected are condemned. And yeah, this is why what I spoke about last week, which some people would consider to be politics, and it's not politics. You see... The devil has allowed a situation to arise where there's certain things where the church must not say. And they say, no, no, now you're speaking about politics and abortion is not politics. The slaughter of the innocents is not politics. Not being able to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in certain settings is not politics. Not being able to meet in church and being locked down is not politics. It's not politics. The thing is, at the end of the day, we cannot allow the enemy to silence us through fear. We have to preach the truth. We have to preach Jesus no matter what they say. We have to tell them that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Everyone that is controlled by the enemy is represented by the weeds. I want you to think about the description of Jesus. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, is Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. There are people in the world today who belong to the devil. Every person who does not know Jesus belongs to the devil. When they receive the gospel, they now belong to Jesus. They get saved from the destruction. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So angels are going out, and as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will weed out of His kingdom. Now listen to that. Everything that causes sin. So anything that causes sin, it will be weeded out. And all who do evil, 
will be weeded out. Jesus sowed the gospel into the world by sowing his own life. He died on the cross for people. He bled his own blood on the ground for people. And the field for the gospel sown into is the world. I want you all to listen to me. The gospel is sowed into the whole world. The people who reject the gospel are the weeds. Anyone who rejects the gospel is going to have big trouble when they face God. We, we need to understand that this is why we go and we tell people about Jesus because they're in big trouble without God. This is why communion, which we're going to have just now, is such a celebration because we are in so much trouble without the gospel. Those who reject the gospel are the weeds and they've been sown by the enemy. He controls them. Please understand that the world is controlled by the enemy. Please also understand that at the end of time, at the end of this age, the judgment will come and the weeds will be thrown into the fire. And the Bible talks about the fire because we read about it in Revelation and I want you to look at this. Listen to what he said in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. This, guys, and, and this is what freaks me out. Eh? You know, I can come here, Marcus, I sense the Lord is saying, you're going to be a great man, but you're going to be a great Mozambican. In fact, you're going to be such a great Mozambican, they're going to call you a South African. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. Guys, those are the Mickey Mouse uh, uh, prophecies, eh? You know, people are flocking to that stuff. People are flocking to the signs and wonders, and, and we need signs and wonders. Let me tell you a sign and a wonder in this church. A week and a half ago, we've got a new treasure. We had 3,000 rand in the bank, 74,000 rand which of, worth of costs, which have to be paid by the 7th, which is on Wednesday. She said, ah. I said, we live by a song that Bon Jovi uh, sang in the 80s, it's, uh, you know, living on a prayer. We operate on a wing and a prayer. How are we going to pay? I'll, I'll tell you in two weeks. I don't know. All right? Then I have to wake up and say, Lord, how are we going to pay? All right, right now, this weekend in the bank account, the, the money is all going to be paid. Come on, you can give Jesus. There's a sign and a wonder. It's a sign because I wonder how it happened. So now we come with all these signs and wonders. And we miss the big deal. The massive prophecy. And this is the massive prophecy. In Revelation chapter 20 starting at verse 11. And I want you to listen very carefully. Tell the person next to you, listen, this is your future. I don't care who you are, this is your future. Tell the person to say, I don't care who you are, this is your future. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The throne in the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for, for them. Okay, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. So the whole earth ran away. Okay. Everything you're living for ran away. 
That's what it's saying. Think about everything you live for. It ran away from the presence of God. It got scared. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. There's a book of life, guys. When you receive Jesus, your name goes in that book. If you reject Jesus, your name stands out of that book, stays out of that book. Guys, I'm prophesying. Call me Prophet Gavin. Say yes, Prophet Gavin. Okay? I'm prophesying now. I'm telling you this is going to happen. I'm telling you now I'm not going to be wrong. Don't ask me when it's going to happen. I don't go into that. I don't say, no, no, you know, 2050, whatever, whatever. 2030, year 2000. Everyone said it was going to end year 2000. My father used to tell me when, before I was born, it was going to end too. And it was going to end on Patrick's, birth, on Patrick's wedding day, the 12th of December, 2012. When him and Tando got married, that was a, they, they chose to be married on the day the world was going to end. <laughs> Everyone was saying the world was going to end on the 12th of December, 2012. I wish we wouldn't have had COVID, you know what I mean? But anyway, here's the thing. The book of life is going to be opened. And then it goes on and it says this. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The dead and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the fire. Hades is hell, guys. <clears throat> death. You, you know, I had to do a funeral yesterday. That's death. Death is thrown into the fire. Your greatest enemy is going to be thrown into the fire. Your greatest enemy is going to be destroyed. You, you don't have a big... I, 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 you, you think that Joe down the road is your enemy. You think he's your biggest enemy. Maybe you think the Russians are your biggest enemy because they're invading Ukraine. Maybe, maybe you think Bill Gates is your biggest enemy. I'm tempted to think that, by the way. Your greatest enemy is none of those things. It's death. Death is going to be thrown into the fire. And then it says this. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We're all going to die once. Okay. I prophesy over you. You're going to die. So amen. I receive it. Okay. I'm telling you now, I will not be shown up to be a false prophet. You should all be coming and throwing, because I've seen with the prophets, they come and they throw money here on the stage. Where's the money, guys? Where's the money? I'm the most accurate prophet there is. It's not a prophecy you want to hear, so now you don't throw the money, you throw eggs. Or stones, or something like that. Or you come hit me with a stick. Or you pull out your gun and, you understand what I'm saying? But that's what's going to happen. We're all going to die once. That's the bad news. You say, yo, this is the, you tell me this is the good news. No, no, that's the bad news. You see, you don't get the good news unless you have the bad news. And the good news is this. The good news tells us how we can avoid dying twice. You see, everyone has to die once. 
But not everyone has to die twice. If you die twice, you chose it. Tell the person next to you, say, if you die twice, you chose it. So you can't help dying once. Adam, Adam chose it for you. I'm going to hit that like Adam. Eh? I'm waiting for Adam. I see Adam as a colored. Hey, Adam, come here, booty. Come here. Come here, Adam. Adam and Eve, I want you, Oaks. Eh? I don't know how many of you are after Adam. I'm after Adam. I mean, me, me and Shane spoke often about Adam. Adam, we swear lives in Alara Al Park. We're after Adam, eh? When we find him, yeah, I'm going to deck him, eh? On the streets of the New Jerusalem. Because of him, we're all going to die. We inherit the death from him. Even though Eve ate first, it's Adam. So when you're married, guys, even if your wife's stuffing up, it's all on you. Yep. Some of the oaks are worried now. That's hard to be a man. I was speaking to someone yesterday, telling me about their marriage. I said, Yep, now you're a man. When you can make a woman happy for the rest of her life, <laughs> now you're a man. Don't come with all the other truck. That's a man. But the second death is the lack of fire. And this death is totally avoidable. <clears throat> but to gain eternal life requires that your name be written in the Lamb's book of life. And I, wanna, I want you to listen to what those whose minds are formed in the pattern of Christ will look like. They will shine like the sun. That verse from Matthew earlier, from Matthew 13, in Matthew 13, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Guys, this is the good news of the gospel. A day is coming when you're going to stand there in the presence of God, living, you're not going to need an outfit. Sandra, I'm not going to need to model your clothes. I'm not going to need your clothes. Because I'm going to have an outfit that shines like the sun. If your gospel promises you money, you don't need Jesus. Because there are a lot of people I know got a lot of money. And they don't have Jesus. Remember the weeds and the wheat? Both get watered. If there's fertilizer, both get fertilized. Hey, those weeds grow strong, eh? You're having money, you're having power, you're having the things of the world is not a sign. And many Christians believe you need that stuff to show that you're with God. Sometimes that stuff shows you, you, you're not with God. I'm not saying money shows you're not with God. We all need money, right? Guys, if we could buy this whole building, if we do buy this, I, I'm trusting God we buy the whole building. You understand what I'm saying? In fact, we buy the whole block. I'm believing for that. And that's fine. But here's the thing. If you believe that how much money you've got shows how close you are to God, my goodness gracious me, some of the richest people in the world are the biggest Satanists there are. <clears throat> if, you, if your gospel's about money, you don't need Jesus. Most people I know with money don't, don't know Jesus. Whoever is here must hear the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And Jesus has redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God 
through his own blood you know when we celebrate communion nana it's all about his own blood that was shed for us and he shed his blood in in seven areas in seven places he shed his blood and seven in the bible if you know the bible it's a number of completion in other words the act that jesus did is complete he shed his blood for your spiritual redemption in, in Isaiah 53 verse 5 but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastising for our well being fell upon him and by his scourging which is his whipping we, we are healed Isaiah 1 verse 5 why should you be beaten anymore why do you persist in rebellion Jesus saying you don't need to be punished anymore you don't need the wrath of God to fall on you anymore because he was whipped for you he was punished for the things you did wrong. And here's the thing. When you apply the blood of Jesus that was shed from his wounded body, he will set you free. He will set you free. If you will, if you will do it with faith, he will set you free from rebellion. He will, he will set you free from sin. He will set you free from every spiritual obstacle that comes in your way that, that opposes you having a right relationship with God. That's what he'll do. Physical redemption, Isaiah 53, 5D. And by his wounds you were healed. <clears throat> Listen to me. Sickness is not a natural state. It's not, it's not what we were meant to be. That's why you hate it. Some people say, oh, how can you say that? That sounds spiritual. No, no, but if, if you really believe that sickness was of God, why would you go to a doctor? It's not of God. Yeah, we have to deal with it and sometimes we suffer through it and stuff. But that's not what God intended. That comes out of the fact that we live in a world that is fallen. And it came as a consequence of the sin of man. When you live far from God, the enemy had a right to attack you through sickness. And I want to encourage you today that now that you're a part of the heavenly kingdom, you need to understand that healing is within your reach. We pray for people to be healed. We see people getting healed. We have reports all the time of people getting healed. Even in our cell groups, our leaders, they pray for people to be healed. If your cell leader doesn't pray for, you, for people to be healed, you should chirp them. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. In the cell, there's supposed to be the laying on of hands on people. When people are sick, we're supposed to see miracles. When people are battling financially, we're supposed to see the supernatural release of the Lord where God comes through for them in a supernatural way so that their lives get touched and their lives get changed. And God doesn't do it to make us look rich or spectacular or anything like that. He does, us, he does that to show us that He's real. He does that to show us that He wants to be involved in our lives. One drop of the blood of Jesus' wounded body has enough power to redeem, to redeem you from all sickness and pain. I want to challenge you to go opposite to the world's way of thinking. The world's way of thinking says if it needs a tablet or a knife. Medication or an operation. And those things are good. I'm not one of those that's going to tell you not to go to doctors or whatever. But you know, sometimes the doctors will say we can't help you. But Jesus can. And then financial redemption. Something we teach often is Proverbs 22 verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. What is the difference between the rich and the poor? It's the nature they possess. 
The difference between those in poverty and those who not is their nature. Sanctuary, more of your power. 